podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And I suppose I can start this podcast um, with just a little bit of a message to you guys that follow us on the DNF1F1 podcast, whether you've chosen to follow us since we started back in February last year, or whether you've uh, clicked onto this podcast for the very, very first time. I just want to let you guys know that we really, really appreciate your following, and we really appreciate all of your support for everyone that has subscribed to us on YouTube or followed us on your favorite podcasting platform or downloaded. We do appreciate you guys, and the reason I'm saying this is because, particularly for those of you that follow us on YouTube, a lot of you have engaged with us in the past, You've uh, written into the comment section and, you know, you've wanted to talk to us about stuff. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys. Um, as amazing as that has been, I would say I've not, I'll be honest, I've not really done my part in responding in kind and engaging with you guys. And there's a lot of you guys that want to engage in discussions with us, um, constructive discussions, not slandering other drivers off or anything like that, because obviously we're not interested in any of that. But um, I just wanted to say, obviously, we do acknowledge and we do appreciate you guys. So for those of you who have engaged with us in the past and we've not reciprocated in kind, I want to apologize. But we are going to pledge now or I'm going to pledge now to make sure that that doesn't happen again in the future and that we reply to your comments. We engage in discussion with you guys. So, of course, if you do want to talk about stuff relating to the podcast or F1 in general in the comments section, let us know. Say hi and we'll be happy to respond to you and discuss. It may not necessarily be immediately or in the next couple of hours. It could be the next day or something when I've spent some time to re- look at comments and reply to them. But uh, yeah, if you want to chat, if you want to stuff, then great. And of course, if it does get enough traction, then we'll have to think of setting up potentially a Discord for the DNF1 community. And let's try and grow this one together. So of course, if you have felt that way in the past, I do apologize, but we're definitely going to make more of an effort to reciprocate and grow engagement with our followers. So thank you so much for that. And of course, as always, guys, if you are new and this is the first time that you have clicked on an episode of the DNF1F1 podcast on YouTube, do consider subscribing. It does help us out a lot. And of course, if you are enjoying it, make sure to give a like as well. Of course, if you are a returning viewer and you haven't subscribed yet, the button's right there. It's absolutely free, all of our content. And uh, we certainly hope you won't regret it. There's not just the podcast, but also other videos related to F1 opinions and some list videos that we've got coming up very, very soon that we're really looking forward to showing you guys. So plenty to come if you are subscribed to the channel. So, of course, Courtney, all of that out of the way. Um, Nicely done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Thought I'd get that one done nice and early for you guys. But, of course, if you have been watching the Formula One this weekend, of course, we are reviewing the Dutch Grand Prix. And the first thing first, Courtney, we've got to say, and Courtney, of course, joining me on this podcast as always, it's so nice after what we saw in Belgium or what we didn't see that we actually had a race that had zero interruptions altogether. Yeah, it was refreshing. Well, I mean, in, uh, in the practice sessions, there were plenty of red flags. So I thought, Jesus Christ, this uh, this season's cursed. We're not going to see any action here. But yeah, the race itself, um, just like the same, my, my prediction was right. You asked me in the uh, in the preview, you said, Courtney, what's your main prediction for the, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix? And I said, there's going to be 
plenty of orange smoke bombs. And I was right. The track was absolutely lit with the things. But no, apart from that, um, I have mixed feelings about the race, to be honest. Um, on one hand, you know, we didn't really get to see much overtaking. You know, we, we always knew he was going to get that with his circuit. But for the championship itself, it's actually raised a lot more intrigue. This championship is very close. Red Bull might have a slight advantage performance-wise. But I've got a feeling this one could go right to the end, you know. I certainly hope so. Um, based on what we've seen in the last two races, or at least Belgian qualifying is concerned, Red Bull are still operating at a very high level that they were at the first half of the season. And Max Verstappen, despite all of the questions that get asked of him throughout the season so far, he has really been able to shake off the um, the issues that he had towards the end of the first half of the season, you know, put away the despair and the negative thoughts that he may have had in his head over the fact that he could have been leading this championship by a huge margin at this point. But he's managed to put that to one side and carry on where he left off and has put together an exemplary performance today in front of his home crowd. And this would have been a moment I'd imagine that Max had been waiting for his entire racing career to go out in front of his home crowd in Zandvoort with an atmosphere that we saw today, which I'll be honest with you, it probably rivals anything that we have seen in Formula One history. It was absolutely oh, 100%, incredible. 100%. And to go on and win the race in quite dominant fashion, it must be said. And, you know, above all else, calling as you pointed out, yeah, I think we weren't expecting a stellar performance today from uh, the Grand Prix itself in terms of overtakes. I think that's something we went to this venue expecting to be quite scarce of or you know them being at a premium but he still delivered a lot of good talking points and a lot of good action today so I think when it comes to you know the battle at the front itself between Lewis and Max I think what we saw today was pretty much a culmination of a driver like Max Verstappen who is in the form of his life driving easily the fastest car that he has ever had in his hands and arguably the fastest car on the grid in F1 at the moment. And he is excelling week after week against the man who has dominated the sport for so long and was almost seen as, uh, a, you know, unbeatable. So, I mean, how special must that have been for Max Verstappen today with all of that coming together in his favour? I think a couple of things worth noting with Max. I think, First of all, I'm not really surprised to be seeing these kind of performances from him. You know, he's he come to the sport at such a young age and made an instant impact. So it doesn't surprise me. You know, with the experiences that he's had, we've always known how good this guy is. Um, so it doesn't surprise me to see Max in this position. I always knew that if Red Bull were to have a similar package to Mercedes, it was going to be a tough season for Lewis. And if Lewis does go on to win this championship, I think you should probably been barked as one of his best because this is certainly one of the biggest challenges he's faced in his career. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. But also another thing, it just seems that one of the issues, slight issues I've probably had with Max previously is sort of the way that he's reacted, you know, particularly when when things go wrong or, you know, that, that sort of lack of maturity. But today, when he when he won, you know, the, the, the scenes that he was dealing with, you know, he must have been feeling so jubilant inside, but he wasn't rubbing it, rubbing it in anyone's face. He wasn't sort of, because he could have jumped on a bandwagon with like some of the crowd towards Lewis and like embraced it. But you know what? He just seemed to be really mature. You know, he's mature with Lewis. There was that kind of mutual respect towards them. 
the, you know, and you could tell that Max has been sort of sending out a message to the fans in order to behave. And they did behave. I don't know. I just think we saw a level of maturity from Max and maybe just making that next step where he has the mentality to actually be a world champion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is his, what, 17th Grand Prix victory in his career. He's now ahead of, oh, no, actually, no, is it 18? I can't, I can't remember. But I, I know he's ahead of Sir Sterling Moss, of course, now as the most successful driver in Formula One that hasn't won a world championship. Um, not something that we're not really surprised with, although that could very much change in a few months' time, of course, um, if Max does go all the way this season. And you're right, he has been incredibly mature. It's something that's impressed me the most because I think for a long time, we followed Max's career for a while, especially in Formula One, for the moment he got into a test seat at 15 in the Toro Rosso. It was clear as day that this kid was something special. And, you know, given the right work environment and the right work ethic he'd be able to iron out these edges to his attributes and his driving capabilities to become the all-round superstar that he is very quickly becoming and in perhaps in some eyes he already is and it just amazes me that he has been able to mature so much and we've always said that you know in that time could Max become the guy that wins races that he is expected to win and win championships that he looks favourite to win, rather than be the guy that can win a dramatic race that we've seen Max yeah. do in the past, or put the favourable teams, or put the teams like Mercedes under pressure so that he can pick up the scraps on a day where they are less than their best. And he's doing that on a regular basis now, to a point where we are now starting to ask the questions of Hamilton and Mercedes in can they find a way to beat Max and Red Bull in the same way that we did after Styria in Austria and it did seem for a time that despite the controversy of the incidents that occurred in a couple of races that followed where Lewis was able to win them it seems like we may be asking those questions again after Belgium qualifying which of course we would never know what happened in the race between those but Max did get the result and what we saw today in a day where even Lewis himself said these guys are too fast man the the golf is quite is very much as big as it had been um on that on that topic though Courtney regarding the gap uh, that Lewis claims Red Bull seemed to have found at least with Max Verstappen at this circuit do you think it's more down to the fact that the circuit exacerbated yes. yeah performance margins you do yeah I, I figured as much because I, I think that across the field we saw huge gaps of a lot of drivers and I think today whilst Max looked like he had pace in hand I think that was more down to the fact that this circuit was going to exacerbate golfs in performance between two teams and drivers rather than what we're used to yeah I think there's there's two reasons um you know for you Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton fans that I think there's two reasons to be optimistic I think first of all the track specifics made it, you know, a lot more difficult. If you can't overtake the guy in front and you're worried about the dirt, yeah, we saw this happening with some of the drivers because, unfortunately, one of the issues with the current regulations of Formula 1 is that if you're stuck behind somebody for too long, it messes up your strategy completely. So you've had situations where guys have been deliberately staying two or three seconds behind the guy in front because it's almost impossible to overtake it. And I just think that, Mercedes, if the strategy was better, I think they could have caused Red Bull more trouble. I think, you know, they messed that they messed up the strategy a little bit on the second stop with Lewis. So I think the race could have been even closer in the end. I know it says it was like a 20 second um, gap in the end, but 
that only happened because of this whole um, fast slap thing, which I'm sure we'll go to discuss later on in the episode. And another thing is the the traffic situation. Let's not understate the traffic situation as well. There's a lot of luck when it comes to it. Lewis did comments saying that Max was quite lucky with a lot of the traffic he was dealing with. But in this circuit, if you're if you're about to lap somebody, the areas in which you met the driver in front did actually make a lot of difference with time lost. So I think there are a lot of variables in this circuit that could maybe suggest that the, the gap between Red Bull and Mercedes is actually bigger than what I think it actually is. I think next next week at Monza is going to be vital. If Red Bull have a sizable gap at Monza, then Red Bull could well have the edge over Mercedes. Yeah, and that, and that's something to watch out for, of course, and you're absolutely right for pointing that out. I mean, you know, we used to go to power-sensitive circuits in the past, and we used to think that it was a slam-dunk Mercedes win. Um, but Red Bull this season, of course, as you pointed out, they've, you know, they've amended, they've got a, a wider working range with their car where they can compensate some of the downforces for... Uh, you know, in, in, you know, trade it for off for some, you know, high speeds, um, lowering the downforce by changing the rear wing, they can get a higher top speed and it has helped them in a few races this season. And more often than not, they've won as a result of that. So it will be interesting to see how that goes in Italy. I'm sure we'll all be very much keeping an eye on how that goes down to see if, you know, cause if Mercedes can't win there against Red Bull, you, you start to wonder, um, are Red Bull, and Max Verstappen, is it their championship to lose at the moment? But of course, on a day like today, the, the good news for Mercedes is that and Hamilton is that Hamilton is now only three points behind Max Verstappen, who has regained exactly. the championship lead. Um, and Mercedes have actually increased their lead to Red Bull in the Constructors' Championships owing to Perez's, uh, was it, I think it was P, was it P7 or P8 for Perez today? P8. P8. And of course, Perez obviously having to come from the very back of the field. And I'm going to talk about his race because he actually had a very good day today, all things considered, getting driver of the day, um, putting in a very strong performance today despite the issues he had in qualifying. But obviously, I want to go back to Mercedes. You talked about the strategy in the race. Um, Obviously, you've already mentioned that you felt the strategy wasn't quite right. What what was it about the strategy that you felt that Mercedes had got wrong? And and what do you think they were trying to do? Because it looked to me that... They were trying to call Red Bull's bluff over Lewis's tyres, which, of course, we've heard it all before with Lewis Hamilton in tyres. He can say that his tyres are gone and then he'll go and do purple sector after purple sector after purple sector and it's fine. So how did you see all that today? Um, they weren't entirely like awful to, to start with. I think the first the first um, pit stop almost worked out. If it wasn't for Lewis having such a slow stop, that would have been right on the tails of Max, right on the tail of Max. To say the least, you know, he made up a lot more, a lot more time after coming out of the pits. So, if Mercedes had done a particularly fast pit stop, he could have potentially ended up ahead of Max. So, the first pit was a good call. The second one, I felt that Lewis was taking him way too early. I think he'd have had time to have got closer to Max. And they, they, they. First of all, they brought him in too early, and second, they brought him out in front of three back markers. Now, on some circuits, it isn't really much of a big deal. But on a circuit like this, as I've already said, it can make a big difference. It can cost you two or three seconds at least in a, in a such a vital time in a race. Lewis had to get ahead of Max. Simple as. On this circuit, if Lewis had got ahead of Max, Max would have got ahead of him. So I think there was, a, there was an opportunity missed there. I do believe that Red Bull, it's, it's clear to see that Red Bull had a slight um, pace advantage. And that's why strategy was so important. And I feel Mercedes missed out on a slight opportunity there. 
Yeah, I mean, there was two moments in the race for me that kind of decided it in Max's favour on the Mercedes part, that being one of them. And of course, their decision to leave Valtteri Bottas out a little bit longer to try and act as a buffer to hold Max up. And to a degree, I, I thought that was a very good play. Of course, you know, the old story with Mercedes having two cars, they can use that to sort of help them get the first one to win the race. And it served them so well in the past. They did it, I remember, in Monza in 2018 to Kimi Raikkonen. It worked an absolute treat for him then. Um, but today, it just seemed that even though Bottas's tyres were incredibly old and Max had the grip, he just had so much speed that he could overtake him almost as soon as he got to him. So it's, it's quite, I mean, it was quite interesting. I mean, to, to me, that seemed like that was the move of the race for Max. He had to get that yeah. one done to win it. In, in one, you know, I agree about Max's speed. I'm not going to take anything away from Max. But this is just my personal opinion. I wouldn't give you hate for it. <laughs> but I think the way that Valtteri, look, it's so easy for me just sitting at home on an armchair watching this. But it just seemed to me that Valtteri could have put up more of a fight than he actually did. You know, I know the tyres are worn, but, you know, he went, he went wired at one corner just before the banking, which just made it a lot more easier for Max to um, to overtake. And it's moments like these, which is exactly why the inevitable decision is coming, which is George Russell replacing Valtteri Bottas. Mm. Valtteri Bottas wasn't good enough today. Simple as. And that's just, that's just my opinion. And, and it is. And I think this is why we are going to see, it's likely to be announced at some point this week, this is why we're going to be seeing George Russell replace um, Valtteri Bottas because I just feel in that hypothetical situation if you support George Russell in that car George Russell would have done a much better job in keeping Max behind than helping Lewis get closer to Max yeah I mean there's always a case to argue for that definitely um, yeah I agree with that I think Valtteri could have probably done a little bit more to fight against Max but it was almost at that point where once he'd made that mistake and Max was literally mm-hmm. right on his gearbox coming out of the final corner on the straight he just fell as soon as Max pulls over to the right or Bottas pulls to one side, Max will just breeze past him the other way, depending on where he goes. And and that's what happened. Um, I mean, we can go back to the Mercedes in a minute, because I do want to ask you a question on one thing regarding them as a team at the moment. But since you've brought it up, um, it is quite interesting that, you know, for a long time in the summer break, we expected a decision to be made. You and I have been saying for ages that it, it's got to be George. They have to make the move and promote him into the team for next season. And Mercedes have kind of loosened their stance on trying to be coy in interviews to try and keep this hidden. It almost seems like the worst kept secret in Formula One right now, the way things are going, which is a Elephant in a room, isn't it? Yeah, it's a massive contrast from where we were a couple of weeks ago when everyone had their cars to their chest. And we're all quietly doubting if it would actually happen because we've been in this position for a year or so now in the past and Bottas got the nod then. So you'd think, well, maybe he'll get the nod now. I mean, even when we... Uh, spoke with Matt Gallagher from WTF1 at the time when we did our mid-season review. He felt that Mercedes uh, were keeping Bottas on, although I'm not sure if he was doing it to us as a wind-up and he actually felt George was coming all along. Remains to be seen. Um, But now, obviously, Nico Rosberg, who, by the way, is an incredible pundit for former him and Jensen Button. he's good. I mean... I love Martin Brundle. I think he's fantastic. But when on weekends when he's not available... In recent years, the Sky F1 team have really stepped up. You know, Karen Chandler's done a great job. Paul DeResta, some people like him, some people hate him. I like Paul, but for some reason, he just doesn't come across in a positive way to some of the F1 community, which, you know, each to their own, I guess. Anthony Davidson's great. And then you've got, of course, JB 
and Nico Rosberg. And I think Nico has been the cherry on the top for that. He's so much of stuff. And I like the way that he's not afraid to really ask the tough questions to Mercedes at Toto Wolf. Because, of course, we're talking about a guy here that, you know, this time five years ago was winning the world championship in that team, in that war with uh, Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, Nico very much wears his heart on his sleeve at Mercedes. He wants them to do well. And he's not afraid to really get stuck in and say, like, guys, what's going on here? And he really did a number grilling Toto Wolf today in his interview. And in a good way, of course, I'm not trying to say that, you know, he was making Toto look stupid. Of course not. But um, it, it was quite interesting, the sort of the comments that were being said. And then, of course, Nico Rosberg went on to say that, according, well, to his sources, a streaming surface. Um, Which streaming surface could that possibly be? I don't know, Courtney. <laughs> I heard it begins with an N of some sort, and they have quite an affiliation with Formula One on a separate series. Okay. That you can Never watch. heard of this series before. No, I heard it's very, very popular, and uh, okay. you can watch it at the end of every season. It's a nice recap of the season. Of course, it's you know edited a little bit for you know story license and everything else, but it's quite a good watch. But apparently they were there. Um, with the specific duty to go into the Mercedes garage or Mercedes motorhome, wherever it was, to witness and record footage of a certain individual or a certain Mr. Russell potentially signing his Mercedes contract and making it official. And of course, Total Wolf has gone on record in saying this weekend that they very much expect an announcement next week. So I'm going to ask you one more time, is George Russell going to be announced as a Mercedes driver next week? What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I'm just getting the, the the slightest indication that it could be George. Just the slightest. I must say, though, it's become obvious to me that since since last week in Spa, George has has been going around with, you can see the, the element of confidence. You know, you can just, obviously, body language obviously shows a lot. And his body language has been showing that he knows something. Great, he's just been given great news. So I've, I reckon he found out during the summer break and he's come back, you know, finish off his time with Williams, make a good impact with Williams. And I, he, he got interviewed by Jensen Button the other day and he had got Christian Orner. I think Christian Orner come up with him. Oh, he said, congratulations yeah. on the new deal. That's right. Everyone knows. Everyone That's knows. Right. And he asked, and, and JB also asked George Russell in that very same interview, I remember now, he said to him, uh, when do you expect to win your first race? Obviously, George getting his first podium at the Belgian Grand Prix. And he said, next year, prob- probably, uh, something along those lines. And everyone's like, oh, is that you confirming that you're going to be in a Mercedes next year? And then George quickly backtracked and said, well, you know, it's a re- regulation reset. You know, Williams could end up at the front of the field. And we're all thinking, this is a bit wishful thinking, George, mm. but I think we knew what you meant, you know. And and George, you know, bless him, I, I can imagine if, if I was in his position and I'm assuming you know, he does know that he's going to be a Mercedes driver and it's signed now, hopefully officially. I would want to scream it to the rooftops and tell everybody that I'm signing for Mercedes. Like the excitement must be. Yeah, you can see it. You can see it in George. And yeah. you know, I, I I love the kids a bit. I think he's a fantastic driver and I really think he deserves this opportunity. He's earned it. You know, I don't like to use the word deserve because it implies that he hasn't earned it, but he has certainly earned it. And I can't he wait has. to see, of course, assuming he does get that job, uh, it, what he can do next season. And even Lewis, even Lewis has been very um, complimentary of of George. And he, that's the sort of thing that you start to say when you know you've got a new teammate coming on. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up because it, where it's inevitable. I think they're 
their their working relationship is going to be a very interesting one because it's either going to go two ways. I think either Lewis is going to be threatened by this young up and coming guy that everyone knows is supremely talented and could well be a, a stiff challenge for Lewis, or with this being coming towards the end of Lewis's career, will Lewis almost be like a semi tutor for George to become an even more polished driver? in the future because I think we could see either those scenarios could occur here very much so we'll have to wait and see next year what happens but I'm certainly excited to see how it all plays out mm-hmm. there's certainly a master and apprentice vibe going on here of course with only a finite amount of time before said apprentice will hopefully succeed the master and uh, try and lead Mercedes on for more success in the years to come but um on the subject of Mercedes I think we should bring this up because I said um a couple of weeks ago, that I felt that Lewis Hamilton needed to up his game in the second half of the season, despite the fact that he was leading the world championship and had won a couple of races and everyone was, you know, thinking, oh, right, is the championship about to turn? But I said, well, you know, Lewis has been very, very fortunate. He's made a lot of mistakes this season. But equally, Mercedes have made quite a lot of mistakes this season, mistakes you wouldn't normally associate with them, uh, other than the very rare day when, when they do make errors, it goes horribly wrong in the most spectacular fashion that we've seen in the past. Um, Bar Sakia last season, um, Germany 2019 usually come to mind when I think of that. Um, and uh, you know, are we seeing this year because of the pressure that Red Bull and Verstappen have put on Mercedes? Do we feel that Mercedes needs to up their game now to help Lewis Hamilton win this championship? Because right now, we were, you know, I, I was thinking back to the Spanish Grand Prix and I was saying that Red Bull perhaps needed to do more for Max and. They've responded in kind. And it does seem now that Mercedes needs to up their game to help Lewis Hamilton win this championship. Because right now, I'm going to be blunt, I, I think I, I think Lewis needs them to. I don't think he can win this championship mm. unless Mercedes up their game like Red Bull have for Max. I feel this is just the impression I've been getting for watching this season. I, I just get the feeling that Red Bull want this championship more. You know, it's been a long time. Obviously, Mercedes have won, obviously, seven? Seven? Con- Seven in a row, is it? Six or seven? Seven, yeah. You know, so I'm not saying they've become complacent, but I think where Red Bull have gone such a long time without winning a championship, I think they're putting a lot more energy into this championship. And I think Mercedes have got their minds more on next season, given the massive changes that are coming. They don't want to be caught behind for years. With Red Bull, they've got this slightly precarious situation coming up with the engine. They have to. I know they're going to be getting having people from Honda, and they're going to have a lot of concepts from Honda. But they're effectively coming in as a new engine supplier. They're supplying their own teams, and there is a chance they could be behind next season on engines alone. So I feel the Red Bull are putting everything into this season to make sure that they get a championship, and also to keep hold of Max because I feel if they were to lose this championship to Mercedes, Max would then be flirting with Mercedes again about being a driver Mercedes in the coming years. So I really do believe. I really do believe that Red Bull put everything into this season, whereas Mercedes have got their minds on 2022. Yeah, it does seem that that's the perception at the moment. And if that is the case, I would say to Mercedes, look, guys, look, I know you're looking at the bigger picture next year, and I'm sure Red Bull are too, to a degree, but, um, you know, you can't you can't throw away this year. You know, it, it's literally nip and tuck between you guys. And, and we've seen that a few poor days for Red Bull and it swings it back in Mercedes' favour. And they're leading the Constructors' Championship as well, despite the fact that Max has taken the lead back from Lewis Hamilton. You know what? It just comes to me as you're speaking. There was a moment towards the end of the race with the whole um, 
fastest lap thing. Mm-hmm. And the commentators saying they made a perfectly good point. Why are you going to pit Lewis? Now, I know a single point can make a big difference in a tight championship, but this sums up the mentality that Mercedes possibly have at the moment. They pitted Lewis, despite Lewis only being four seconds behind Max at the time. If Max had had like a minor runoff moment, Lewis would have been leading the race. But instead, Mercedes had this kind of slightly negative mindset where they thought we're going to focus on that extra point rather than hoping to go for the win. I don't. I just thought that moment represents where Mercedes are at the moment. It reminded me very much of what happened at Silverstone last year where um, Lewis's tyre burst. And obviously the same thing happened to Valtteri. And then you ended up Lewis trying to trot home with three wheels on the car. And of course, Red Bull had made a pit stop for Max a couple of laps before that to um, keep the fastest lap, which of course he got. But of course, if they hadn't made that stop, Max would have won the race. Um, And, you know, that was the thing that went into my mind. Like if something happens to Max here, Mercedes have thrown away their chance to capitalise unless Max bins it in the gravel or in the wall. Um, But the way Max was driving, he was in that rhythm and that was just never going to happen. But I agree. One thing I, you know, I, I found some fans were complaining about is, you know, why bother with Bottas if you're going to do it for Lewis anyway? And it's like, well, it's to protect Lewis's position and to make sure he keeps the fastest lap. But my mind was more on what you were saying that, oh, you need to keep him there in case something happens to Max. Because we've seen races won and lost on the final lap more times than I would like to count in Formula One. And, whilst, and he wasn't even know, that far behind. No, he at wasn't. At the time, I'd, wasn't. Un- I'd understand if he was almost a pit stop in terms of time behind his, but it was it was close. It was close enough. You know, it even traffic. Max could have had a wobble in traffic and then Lewis could have been right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should probably move on because, of course, I'm being mindful for time, but let's talk about Perez quickly. Um, a very interesting weekend for Sergio Perez, a weekend that obviously he's got his contract very much set for next season. He's going to be at Red Bull and I would say the right decision has been made on that regard. He didn't do himself any favours in qualifying. Um, the team didn't do him any favours either. You know, the, the track evolution was so intense that I think they must have felt his first lap might have been good enough. And it wasn't a bad lap. He was four fastest before everybody started coming out again. And all of a sudden he drops out of qualifying. Um, and Red Bull put him in a very difficult position with traffic. I mean, when it comes to the traffic element, Corny, I suppose, at a track like Zanville, like we saw at Mugello or Hungary or other tracks, you kind of just got to take it for what it is and just hope the traffic get out of your way as soon as possible. But Perez didn't do himself any favours. And I think of all of his uh, facets of his driving ability, qualifying has never been his strongest point, but that is something he's going to have to improve next season for sure because he's leaving way too much of the time on the table for his teammate. And um, being four fastest probably isn't going to be enough at some places. He needs to be closer to the Mercedes at least. Um, but in the race, of course, huge contrast. And um, starting from the pit lane, had a lot of new engine parts put in his car, which of course he incurred penalties for, but he's starting at the back anyway, so it really didn't matter. So in a way, that was nice for Red Bull to get rid of the issues they had from Hungary to give Perez a fresh new engine in that regard. But um, he drove a really good race today. You know, he ended up coming from the back, finishing in P8. Yes, granted, he probably had the best car, all things considered. But he still did a really good job, made some really good overtakes, had a very interesting battle with Lando Norris, where the two of them came together once again. Fortunately, this time, no penalties, and both drivers were able to continue. But um, how would you sum up Sergio Perez's day? Would Red Bull, you feel they'd be happy with him getting PA after the where he was at the start? I mean, though I have mixed opinions on it, because I think, first of all, credit where credit's due, he drove a great race. Yeah, the car's, the car's probably a lot faster than you know, the guys he was overtaking in the race, but you know, he was he was he's probably one of the biggest entertainers of the um of the of the race day, to be fair to him. 
So he gave, he gave the fans something, you know, went for a couple of uh, risky moves, but that, that's what you want to be seeing from a driver. So you can't fault his race performance. But again, it's that it's that thing about qualifying. He's, he's just not performing well enough in qualifying. And it's these kind of things that he's actually given Mercedes the the advantage in the constructors because, you know, it's critical Valtteri I've been today. Valtteri still got the car up there and was able to still finish on the podium, whereas Perez, through issues caused on Saturday, was only able to get eighth. Mm. You know, in these races like this, obviously, you know, with, with maths and everything, you know, you've had all these incidents up over the course of a season, it could tip the constructors into Mercedes' favour. Yeah. Absolutely right. And and on a day like today, you know, we'll never know how Perez would have stacked up compared to the other three in terms of race pace. But I'd like to think if his qualifying performance was anywhere near as good as Valtteri's usually is for Mercedes. And that must be said, Valtteri, we really should praise him for how good he is as a qualifier, even though mm-hmm. he doesn't beat Lewis. We're talking about the greatest qualifier F1 has ever seen. So you kind of have to take that for what it is. He always puts that Mercedes majority of the time in the top three or four places. And you'll have a day like today where other than at the start, if he's used as a buffer to try and help Lewis beat Max and it's unsuccessful, he's still going to finish comfortably in P3 because Perez is so far down the order trying to make up places in a, a much more competitive car than the guys he's overtaken. So I think that, that we have to weigh that all up. So in Perez's case, if he gets the qualifying sorted, as he has done a few times this season, he'll become a much better asset for Red Bull this season. That being said, there's still plenty of time to correct that. So hopefully for Perez, he can find a way because I think Red Bull are going to need him to do that to win this Constructors' Championship. I just don't see them doing it over Mercedes if they have to rely on Max Verstappen on his own. Even though, that being said, that's still a pretty strong flex Red Bull have. But yeah, it's with with Perez, uh, he's in a, still in a slightly precarious position. Yeah, he's going to be around next season, but Pierre Gasly was surprised that he wasn't, you know, he said there were discussions, but he, was, he said he was surprised that he wasn't offered the seat back at Red Bull. So, Look, Red Bull's one of the best teams in Formula 1. It's always going to be a seat that a lot of drivers are after. So it's a bit of a pressure cooker environment for Sergio. So if he wants to be a remainder of Red Bull, he's going to have to up his qualifying performances next season. Yeah, absolutely. And and on the, on the subject of Pierre Gasly, I think we have to heap massive praise on him today. He, mm-hmm. This was a day that not much would have been said about Pierre Gasly during the race. He pretty much had the Ferraris covered um after the start he had a nice little battle with Leclerc early on but managed to stay ahead but his qualifying once again has been absolutely incredible one of the best qualifiers we've seen in F1 this season um it's something he's always had about in Pierre Gasly's when he's comfortable and the car goes well with him and he's in the groove on a track like this he's as good as anybody and you know he proved that today solid in P4 um and he consolidated that in the race and as I said he Whilst the Ferraris did try to throw different strategies at them, he just seemed to have them in check. And maybe because we're on a track like Zandvoort today, where he could do that, perhaps in other tracks, he probably would have come off second best against Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. But, I mean, how much more can Pierre Gasly do to convince Red Bull that he's good enough for a seat in their team? I mean, at this point, it does suggest to me strongly that there is more than meets the eye as to why Pierre Gasly's not in the Red Bull. But, that being said... Are they starting? To, do you think they might be starting to warm to him? Not necessarily next year, but perhaps for twenty twenty three, maybe. In all honesty, I, I, I look at a couple of drivers in the Red Bull program. One of them being Gasly. I think he needs to break free of it for the sake of his career, because I'm just slightly concerned for him that he's just going to be spending his best, 
his best years in the midfield team, just waiting to get that chance at Red Bull when the likelihood is he's probably not going to get it because Red Bull always going to remember him for his first his first um, stint with the team. And I feel they're always going to have that slight perception of him. So I think it'd be best for him to move on to something new, particularly with the big regulation changes that are coming along. The regulation changes are going to be a big opportunity for some drivers that didn't start their careers in Formula 1 the way they'd like to, to, to have started with, but to have a new start. And, you know, like we saw with Jensen Button, Jensen Button didn't really get uh, much of a chance to challenge for a championship. Big regulation changes come along in 2009, ended up with a world championship winning car. So I think Gasly should be looking at the Jensen Button um, blueprint mm. because I just think he isn't going to get that chance to win races regularly if he stays in the Red Bull programme. No, and compared to some of the other drivers there, Pierre Gasly has definitely improved a lot and he's one of my favourite drivers in F1 at the moment as well. Do I think he could become a driver that can win races on a regular basis? Um, if he has the right car underneath him, there's certainly no mm-hmm. doubt that he's got something in him that allows... I mean, he's done it once already, so you know he's, he, it's not like he's got to get one. Um, he knows what it takes to win a Grand Prix. But I'm not sure if he's got it in him to be consistently fighting for race wins in the right car week in, week out. Um, cons- compared to some of the other drivers that we're expecting to see at the front, like the Verstappens, the Russells, the Leclercs, the Sainz, the Norrises, all of them. He's definitely in the mix, but there is, there's going to be so much competition in years to come. It's going to be a lot, lot harder to be a consistent winner in Formula 1, or at least I hope that will be the case. So we'll have to wait and see. I just think Red Bull might be warming to Gasly. I really, really do. Perhaps for 2023, they may be in a position in the driver market where Perez might not necessarily be performing to the level they want. They might be looking elsewhere. I mean... Their confidence in him is questionable at best because they've only given him a one-year deal. If they were absolutely certain that this was the guy for the next few years alongside Max, they'd give him a contract of that length. The fact that they haven't suggests to me that they want to see how this goes next year, perhaps make a more informed decision uh, with more data next season. And I certainly hope Perez ups his game, but of course you've always got to have that provision for if it doesn't happen. And there isn't really anybody right now other than Pierre Gasly that's really throwing himself in there to say, look, I can do this. I can get into that car. And he certainly wants to go back to Red Bull. It's no secret. He wants to be there. No, because he, so. he was. He was. Yeah. He seemed He seemed disappointed that he wasn't given a chance next season. Yeah. And they, I think Dr. Helmut Marco still thinks very, very highly of him. And that could be the deciding factor for Gasly. So we'll have to wait and see. But I certainly don't think the door is closed to him at Red Bull. At least not yet. If anything, he may have jarred it open a few inches in his favour, and we'll have to see how that continues in the next season as well. Um, we should also talk about Ferrari and McLaren um, before we go into the next part of this podcast. Uh, very much a contrast in fortunes for them too. Um, it's weird, in our predictions, we thought Ferrari might struggle on a track like this, and to a deg- not too much, but to a degree, and we thought McLaren were going to be dynamite, or at least I thought they were. Turns out they weren't. Um, Ferrari were, they were good, but they weren't fantastic. Fifth and seventh, of course, I should say. Uh, Charles Leclerc getting P5, pretty much converted his qualifying position. I think he'd have been happy with that. Um, I don't know if P4 was really on after lap one, just the way the race was, and Gasly was superb today. And uh, Carlos signs P7, and I think he'd be disappointed because not only did he finish half a minute behind Charles Leclerc on a very same strategy, he ended up losing sixth place on the final lap to Fernando Alonso, and uh, a move that we didn't see on the live broadcast, which was disappointing on TV. However, it was on the F1 TV 
uh, broadcast, which of course we were able to get footage of, and it, it was a lovely little move by Fernando Alonso around the outside. Um, so I think Ferrari will be happy with the result, given that this was by far their best performance against McLaren this season, uh, and which has now moved them into third place in the Constructors' Championship. Um, and McLaren, Lando Norris in P10, and Ricardo having to yeah, give up. had a bad up. weekend. He did, did, yeah. Norris was caught out in quali, obviously because of the red flags in Q2, which really ruined his weekend. And Ricardo, despite... was it? Did he get into Q3? I was just trying to remember. Um, where did he qualify? He qualified... Yeah, he did. So he got into Q3 in P10, but he just didn't really have any more pace. And he had to give up a points position for Norris to try and help him move up the field. And uh, it just didn't pay off. If anything, Lando lost a place. Well, I think the problem for McLaren, you know, I need to be careful with this is they're reliant on Lando to almost carry the team at the moment. You know, Daniel's had such a struggle this season that if Lando has a bad weekend, so do McLaren. Mm. And this is probably, this is probably one of Lando's worst weekends of the season. He knows it. We all know it. He'll be open for a lot more Monza. I don't doubt he'll come back strong. But this is an example of where Lando is so important for that, um, for McLaren this season, you know. Whereas with Ferrari, I've, I think I've said this various times this season, Ferrari have two drivers they can rely on in um, in the Claren signs. So I think that's where that's where Ferrari. I think I think McLaren have the slight advantage with pace and Lando on a good day. But Ferrari have two drivers they can rely on, particularly if McLaren have a bad day like we saw. Yeah, absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I imagine McLaren are going to be right back up there again in Monza. This will be, it'll be a track again that will really suit their car. Um, I don't want to... I, I do have a common um, knack of getting predictions wrong, quite emphatically. So if anything I say, usually the opposite happens. Um, but I'm expecting McLaren to be very strong in Monza. Do I think they'll challenge Red Bull Mercedes? Probably, maybe, maybe on that kind of circuit they'll be up there. I think they'll have the better Ferrari just because of the power of that Mercedes engine in that McLaren. Ferrari be no slouches, though, because they may bring their upgraded engine spec, um, although that may come with engine penalties. So I think Ferrari may have to be careful as and when they use that. But uh, on a track like Monza, if the engine upgrade is as good as they claim it to be and the car is quick round there, they may feel like they could afford to take a grid penalty. Um, it depends on the size of the grid penalty as and well. So, and also, it's a it's a good place to make a statement because Very Ferrari true. needs to be making that statement because they need to they need to deliver next season. Mm. The fans have been patient. The Ferrari fans, Ferrari fans aren't known for their patience, but they have been patient with this project. You know, take a couple of years of pain in order to get back to the top. So it'd be it'd be it'd make a lot of sense for Ferrari to make that statement with this big uh, power game. No better place to do it than Monza, really, is there? No, but I only think it's going to be a small one, perhaps a bit 10 horsepower at the very most, which is a lot when you're at the top there, really, considering that there's not much of a gap between Mercedes, who have the arguably the most powerful power unit at the moment, all things considered, and then you've got uh, Renault and Ferrari, who I think Ferrari apparently are just ahead of them, but I'm not sure if that's true or not, but we'll see. I mean, next year is going to be the year where we'll see Ferrari completely change 
everything that we know about these turbo hybrid engines in a massive gamble that's either going to pay off for them immensely for the next few years or it's going to leave them with their tails between their legs for a few years. We'll have to wait and see. I really hope it's the latter, but you never know with Ferrari. It could be equally either one. They could be overzealous and overconfident about one thing, thinking it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then it turns out to be absolute rubbish by comparison, but we'll have to see. Um, but they'll be happy with their weekend's progress and they'll be hoping to continue that into Monza. And I think going into it P3 in the constructors, all things considered, I think the Tafosi will be very, very happy with that. And hopefully it'll be a good weekend for them as well at their home circuit. Certainly overdue um, for the last couple of years. Um, we should briefly talk about Alpine before we move into the final part of the podcast. Let's talk about Alpine a little bit. Um, Fernando Alonso, great day for him. Um, started off in P, uh, P9, I think it was, and ended up P6. Esteban Ocon finished in P9 today, despite starting ahead of Fernando. But um, no, a, a really good, strong day for Alpine. And this has started to become a bit of a trend now. Alpine have really upped their game, had a massive points haul at the Hungarian Grand Prix with Esteban Ocon winning and Fernando also in P, uh, P4 uh, after Vettel's disqualification. It does seem that despite the best efforts of Pierre Gasly and Sebastian Vettel for us, for our AlphaTauri and Aston Martin respectively, Alpine have really got two guys right now that are really, really on it, especially in Fernando at the moment. And it's it's paying dividends for them in this Constructors' Championship. They look very much set on for that P5. Yeah, I mean, Alonso in particular, I made some ballsy moves, you know, in places where I didn't think uh, we'd see any overtaking. Um, Fernando in particular seems to be loving life at the moment. He has a new lease of life. Alpine. Um, obviously, it's very similar, um, familiar background for him. Probably feels a lot more comfortable there. Yeah, he had his um, most successful spell of his career with, with the team. And he just seems to be in a really good place at the moment. You wouldn't think the geezer was faulty with the way that he's performing at the moment. No. And critically as well, he wants to stay even longer. So, of course, they extended the option or, uh, you know, they triggered the option, if you like, a couple of weeks ago to keep Fernando on next season. I didn't think this was something that needed doing, but apparently it needed to be done and confirmed. Um, so he's going to be around for next season, but he wants to consider a longer contract. And this is a real difficult situation for Alpine because they have so many good young drivers in their academy, like, you know, Christian Lungard, uh, Oscar Piastri, Guan Yu Zhou, or Victor Martins, Chao Calais, um, in F2 and F3 respectively, all doing a lot of good things at the moment to try and throw their hat in the ring for a potential seat at Alpine. And we know Ocon's not going to go anywhere. He's got a three-year deal that he's just signed at the French Grand Prix. So... Right now, if Alpine do produce a car next season, or perhaps for 2023 that's capable of winning a world championship, do you put Fernando Alonso and give in that seat and give him another contract um, if he's still driving at the level he is right now? 100%. I think he's been one of the drivers of the season so far. Certainly a tough one, because you've got a good, lot of good young guys in there that won that seat, but... It's weird with Fernando because you know what you get. And it must be said, you know, a lot of people were talking about his return. Myself, very much one of them, was concerned it was going to end up being one like Michael Schumacher's was, where there were some good days, but ultimately it was quite underwhelming considering the high bar he'd set himself in his previous career. But in Fernando's case, it, it's almost as if he never left. I mean, he's had he had a few races he needed time to get used to the car. And, you know, because a lot changes in Formula One in a few years, even if you're only out for a short amount of time. But Fernando Alonso, he, I don't know what it is about him. He's just able to find that something special, perhaps only he has, that he can get on top of practically any car that he drives and drives it to the best of the ability that anybody could possibly do. 
I think next season is going to be a very interesting one because mm. if Alpine take advantage of these regulation changes and they see Fernando Alonso in the mix, how exciting would that be for the fans? Oh, it'd be absolute box office. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, I would have loved Fernando to have won a championship at Ferrari. I really, really felt he had earned at least one. Um, but it does warm my heart to see Fernando Alonso driving the level that he is at the moment. And he's got to be real box office uh, entertainment if he has a car capable of winning races in a championship it'd be something special to see and at a man of his age the f- he didn't really care about people's perception of him before you imagine him now he's like the proper matador stuff as fernando often nicknamed as it really is something but um we'll have to wait and see on that one um just a few other incidents i wanted to mention of course we had some inter-team stuff going on today um a little bit less savory than we would have liked we had one with aston martin where we had um Lance Stroll, he swiped across Vettel and the back straight, didn't he, when Vettel tried to overtake him around the outside. Um, that was a bit interesting. Not much came off that, but that was a bit naughty from Stroll, I'll be honest. But the one I did want to talk about, and, and this is something I never thought I'd really talk about too much this season, but Haas, um, it does seem now that this partnership between Mazepin and Schumacher is really starting to boil over. I mean, they don't have too much to fight for other than supremacy in the team, and I think it's clear in day that Schumacher has been by far the best performer of the two. But Nikita Mazepin the last couple of days has said a lot of inflammatory comments after what happened in qualifying. Of course, the two of them really causing a danger on the track, uh, almost causing Sebastian Vettel to have a massive crash at the final corner. Very stupid from them. Um, but today, Nikita Mazepin in the race, Schumacher was trying to overtake him on the right-hand side. He swipes across Schumacher, almost putting him in the pit lane. Very dangerous stuff from Nikita Mazepin. Um, I mean, Gunther Steiner has mentioned that there is a lot of friction going on in the team between these two drivers. Uh, do you feel that... So, like, is there anyone in this team that could sit these two down, given the relationship that Mazepin has with the Haas team at the moment, to sort of say, look, guys, just relax, calm down? Because it, it's one thing to have two hothead drivers in your team going hammer and tongs and potentially putting their own health at risk and the risk of the team from a pettiless squabble. It's another thing to have two inexperienced hothead drivers doing stuff like that. And that's very much what these two are at the moment. As much as we love Mick Schumacher, it has to be said, he is not, he hasn't proven to us that he's got the right mindset or the experience to handle a situation like this without it ending up being a really ugly one. Yeah, I think if any F1 driver is to have a teammate like Nikita Mazepin, then they need to have a certain level of mental strength and maturity in order to deal with it because not going to go into it. We all know what the geezer's capable of. And, you know, we, we saw it on track today with um with a dangerous move to stop Schumacher from overtaking him. And I just don't I don't think that driver pairing works at all. I think I think Mick Schumacher could have done with somebody with more experience. I think maybe like a Kimi Raikkonen. I, I always said that Mick Schumacher would have been a lot better off for Alfa Romeo with Kimi Raikkonen. I think he'd have learned a lot from Kimi and developed him his career. Whereas now he's in, he's in effectively a toxic atmosphere. That's as much of a toxic atmosphere as you're probably going to see in on, in a Formula One grid this season. And it's not a good place to start your career having having a teammate like Nikita Mazepin. No, and he's had a history of these kind of moments, Mazepin. Um, very, very aggressive, very much inflammatory. Uh, of course, you know, Mick Schumacher has done a few stupid things as well. We shouldn't make this all about one driver, but... There is a reason why Mazepin is being isolated out in this F1 paddock, uh, not necessarily just for his off-track activities earlier this season. Of course, that shouldn't be forgotten. 
but there does seem to be a reputation forming now where a lot of drivers are very much distancing themselves from him and there's the safety concerns and everything else. And you, I don't care who you are or how much money you have, you are not going to last very long in Formula One unless you change your ways. And I hope for his sake, Mazepin, that he can concentrate more on improving his own game rather than having these petty, pointless squabbles <laughs> with a guy who's going to be in Formula One for a good few years to come and he's never going to win a popularity contest again, so he shouldn't even bother trying. If that's what it's all about, like who's got the biggest dick, then honestly, forget it. Like no one cares. Um, no one cares. You're right. That's it. No one cares. Yeah. That's the point. And it does seem to be like that, like, you know, that kind of, and for both drivers at the moment, it's just pointless. But um, anyway, look, less said on that one, the better. Um, with a boss like Gunther Steiner, I imagine he's probably had a few choice words to say to both his drivers. He certainly is experienced in dealing with two hot-headed drivers in his own team. He certainly had uh, a lot of that going on with Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. So this isn't new to Gunther. Um, we'll have to see how he handles that one. Um, I think it's probably a good time, Courtney, unless there's anything else you wanted to mention. Um, I know there's some stuff going on with the driver market regarding Alex Albon's future, if you wanted to touch on that one briefly before we go to the driver ratings at the end of the episode. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Alex Albon thing because, you know, I like to brag how I called he could potentially be returning to Formula One. Um, it's certainly looking a possibility, but the politics of Formula One could potentially be a stumbling block here because... Yeah. Christian Horner seems to be keen on the idea, but with the uh, Williams connection with Mercedes, Toto Wolf isn't so keen on the idea. And Toto Wolf wants Alex Albon to be released from the Red Bull program before joining Williams. So there's a, there's a lot of tough decisions to be made for this to happen. Yeah, I mean, we should probably put some context into this. So this time last week, it seemed that Alex Albon might be going to Alfa Romeo and obviously a lot of switches going around and Bottas obviously linked there as well and it looks like that may happen too given what we expect to hear about George Russell. But at the same time, of course, Nick DeVries was also included in this discussion, the Formula E world champion, obviously a Mercedes-backed driver too. And now all of a sudden, it seems like Albon is likely to go to Williams to replace George Russell out of nowhere. But obviously being a Red Bull driver, it was a strange one. And there's certainly that Mercedes influence and that Mercedes technical partnership going on. And um, it seems that potentially, according to Christian Horner, that that move may be blocked if Toto Wolf wants to block it, who probably wants to put Nick DeVries in that car instead, by, you know, by contrast or comparison, if you like. It, depending on what happens elsewhere. I mean, for all we know, Mick Schumacher may look to try and get in a Haas, uh, Alfa Romeo next season, given what's going on at the moment. I know some people have been saying that, but look, going off on a tangent there, but of course, Toto Wolf um, did say in an interview that, look, got nothing against Alex Albon going into the Williams next season, but preferably he feels that Alex should consider perhaps leaving the Red Bull driver program if he wants to continue and join the Williams team, suggesting that obviously he wants them to leave a rival. It, it just seems a bit crazy that these two are squabbling over every little thing. And look, I've got nothing against it. I think it's fantastic. I mean, this is proving to be almost as exciting as the Max Verstappen-Lewis Hamilton battle. If anything, this is where the feisty fight is. is going on. You're right. Um, so there's certainly no love lost between these two. And look, I always think this element of Formula 1 is really, really understated. I know people say, oh, we don't like to see these kind of things. But look, Christian and Toto aren't exactly getting the boxing gloves on and fighting. And look, we've already established who we think would win that one anyway. But at the same time... Um, they're doing pretty much everything that they can do as team bosses. Two of the best in the business, perhaps of all time as well. Just taking every single little battle that they can against each other and trying to win every single individual battle. It's, it's 
brilliant. It really is. But what would you do if you're Alex Albon? And I'm going to put that to you, Courtney, because I'm conflicted on this because Red Bull, Christian Horner has said he wants Albon in Formula One, but he has four cars on the grid. And people will say, well, put him in one of your cars. And right now, there's an Alpha Tauri seat occupied by Mr. Sonoda, who reluctantly, I have to say this, is certainly not delivering what I hoped he would. Albeit, I think perhaps next season will be better for him. But there is a question mark there. Um, so if you feel that strongly about it, Christian, why not put Alex in one of your cars? But that being said, Courtney, what would you do if you're Alex Albon? So if I was Alex Albon, I'd be putting it simple to them. Give me a seat in the driver programme or I'm going to leave. You know, this situation has given Alex Albon some power where, you know, recently he had no power at all. He's just... Um, He's been uh he's been competing in a DTM series, hasn't he? Yeah, and he won his first race a couple of weeks yeah. ago at the Nurburgring. So he's certainly doing all right there at the moment. So he's gone from a position where he's kind of keeping himself like, you know, hello guys, I'm still here. He's gone from that to actually been in a position where he could, you know, hold the cards actually. So that's the position that Alex Albon's in right now. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, I think he should do that. I really think he should say to Christian, look, there's an Alpha Tauri seat that, you know, this driver's not performing so well put me in there. You saw how well I was doing the first time I was in there. And, you know, if Red Bull was serious about Alex Albon, they have to manoeuvre or engineer a move for him in Formula 1 for next season. Because I just feel like if they don't, there's a good chance they could lose him. And how crazy would that be if George Russell ends up in the Mercedes and there's a spot in that Mercedes driver programme to put uh, a current Formula 1 or a Formula 1 driver of that calibre in there and they sign up Alex Albon because... I can't think of who the next driving line would be at Mercedes to take George Russell's spot in the academy. There isn't really, there are a few drivers there, but there isn't really one that's sort of shining out to me saying, right, that's the next in line. So perhaps there's a spot for Alex at Mercedes long term if he wants to, and maybe he's having you in, he's fire the good Williams enough. team. Absolutely good enough. Absolutely. Should definitely be on the grid next season. We'll have to wait and see, but let us know, guys. What do you think Alex Albon should do? Should he leave the, if he, if of course that, you know, I'll explain it a bit more clearly. If he goes to Williams next season and it requires him to leave the Red Bull Academy and potentially sign with Mercedes Academy, would you do it? Or would you put the question to Christian Horner and say, put me in the Alpha Tauri seat or I'm leaving? Or would you just hang around as another reserve driver for another year and stay with Red Bull? It, three options there. Um, I'm sure Alex probably, as you said, Courtney, I think he holds a lot of power in this situation, Alex Albon, which is quite nice to see. I just hope that we see him on the grid next year. That's all I want, really, for Alex is him on the grid. But look, let's move on to this final part of the podcast. Now, this is something, obviously, um, a lot of people have had their own spin on driver ratings. And we've not really done this before. So we're going to give this a try now. So bear with us, guys. So um, we're going to call it Star Ratings. I've got to find a better name for it. But the way this is going to go, guys, keep is... Keep basic to start with. We'll keep it basic to start with. I've got to find a clever name. Of course, if you've got a clever name that you can mix DNF1 into somehow, guys, I'd love to see it in the comments. And who knows, we might use it for future episodes and make it a regular thing. But we're going to give the drivers rating out of five stars. Obviously, half stars are included. Um, and if this is popular with you guys, we'll get you guys to add in one as well and see what you guys pick unanimously. But anyway... Let's go for all the drivers, Courtney, uh, for the last part of this podcast. We're going to start with Red Bull, Max Verstappen and and, uh, Checo Perez, Sergio Perez. What stars would you give for them out of five for each driver? Max, I'm going to give five. I think he was supreme. 
didn't put a foot wrong this weekend. So I'm going to give Max five stars. Perez, I'm going to give three and a half. And that's only and that's only for what he did on Sunday. I, I think, you know, he he needs to be held to account for his qualifying performances. So I'm going to give Perez three and a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. Max five stars, absolutely brilliant. Got pole position despite not having DRS over the line, which cost him a few attempts. So it shows how good he was. And he dominated the race. So yeah, five stars for Max. Um, yeah, three, I'm going to say three and a half stars. I mean, that's probably being generous as well. His race performance was really, really good and that definitely saved him. So yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that one as well. Um, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. What we do, what are we thinking with those guys? Lewis, I'm going to say four stars. Um, he did well with the package that he had. Um, but he just seemed to be getting quite frustrated and temperamental. He didn't. He didn't seem to be in the best place uh, mentally today. So I'm going to give him four. Valtteri, I'm going to give another one. I'm going to give three and a half stars to. But again, I'm going to flip it this time, mainly for his performance on Saturday. You know, he put in a, a solid uh, qualified performance, but it was nowhere to be seen in this race. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, Lewis, yeah, I'll give him a four stars as well. Um, I mean, it's hard to judge Lewis in this case when he's come second, but his qualifying performance is actually very, very good. Um, mm. Even though Max had his problems, Lewis very nearly nicked pole position with a mighty final sector. So, um, And that could have changed the, the whole weekend if he managed to do it. Imagine if he'd have done that in front of... Um, the home crowd. Um, I mean, they were giving him some cheers and everything else. I bet they wouldn't have been giving him any cheers if he put that Merck on pole. Um, but that would have been typical Lewis Hamilton to do it. But yeah, I think four stars. He, a bit underwhelming on the race, but ultimately, what could he do? Um, it was just a bridge too far for him on this occasion. Bottas, I'm actually going to give him four stars. Um, okay. qu- qualifying, I thought, as you said, I think qualifying, he was very, very good. A um, couple of attempts off Hamilton and Max. Doesn't surprise me. I think Valtteri is usually very reliable in qualifying, so P3 was pretty good. In the race, yeah, he was definitely off the pace of the front too, but he was on a different strategy as well. He was there or thereabouts, and the strategy really put him out of contention. And perhaps he could have done a bit more to defend against Max, but I'd say it'd be pretty harsh of me to give him less than a four stars because I think there wasn't too much that Valtteri didn't do that you'd have expected of him. And given the complex of the Constructors' Championship, I think he's done the minimum he needed to do today. Yeah, so, he's yeah. doing his job there. So yeah, four stars with Valtteri. I'm going to show him some love this weekend. Um, okay. So Ferrari now, uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Charles Leclerc, four and a half. I think he, again, with the package that he had, he probably couldn't do much more than he did. Um, I'm going to give Sainz three and a half. You know, considering he's on the same strategy as his teammate, he probably didn't deliver to the level that he would have wanted to. Um, I'm going to go Charles Leclerc. I'm going to give him four stars. Um, qualifying was good, but not great. I think the fact that Pierre Gasly beat him in qualifying in AlphaTauri, which you could argue is a, a weaker car than the Ferrari all round and perhaps on a track like here. I think he was outperformed by Gasly this weekend. So I think you can't ignore that. Despite the fact he consolidated his race and he was pretty decent. Um, so four stars for him. Um, it's harder with science, isn't it? Because a P6, I would have said probably four to four and a half for Carlos Sainz, because I think that's where I expected him to be. But yeah, I will agree. I think three and a half stars. I think it would have been a solid four. 
if he'd have kept that P6, but just losing it and being half a minute behind his teammate, that's quite worrying. Yeah. Um, on a day, that's probably the furthest he's been behind Charles Leclerc in a long time in the same car and on the same strategy as well. And, and bearing in mind, Carlos Sainz is usually very, very good on the tyres. So um, it was quite a surprise that he struggled today on the one stop, which was, uh, it was certainly the strategy I thought everyone would go for, but those guys made it work. But Sainz, yeah, dropped behind Alonso, bit of a shock there. Um, let's go to McLaren. Uh, Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, probably not going to be great scores for these guys this mm. weekend. Yeah, I'm going to three for Lando and two for Daniel. Ooh, I'm going to go, I'm going to be really harsh here. I'm going to give Lando a two, a two and a half. I think he salvaged it in the race and he was in luck, unlucky in qualifying, but this is because of Lando's incredible high standards this season. It was massively underwhelming that he didn't get through to Q3 and he should have been comfortably in there beforehand. As I said, the red flags really caught him out, but you've got to put yourself in that position. Some of the others did. Um, you know, even the Williams drivers very, very nearly did uh, Nicholas Satifi as well. So, um, yeah, Lando recovered in the race to get a point. But even then, if it wasn't for Ricardo, he probably wouldn't even got points today. And Sergio Perez got him just before the end as well. So, yeah, two and a half for Lando. Uh, Ricardo, uh, I would say three stars. And the reason I give him three stars is, um, is because he helped, tried to help Lando get more points mm. for the team. So I think you've got to credit him for the teamwork. And so three stars for Ricardo. And that's probably been a bit harsh, but yeah, three stars for him. Um, who we don't want to, three, four. Uh, Alpine, Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. I'm going to give Fernando four and a half. It'll kind of, it's, it's, for me, it's like a 4.25. I'm going to be really uh, on point with it. Again, with a package that he got, couldn't have done much more of it. Um, some great overtakes. I think one of the highlight drivers of the race. So definitely up there. Ocon, I'm going to give, I'm going to give him four stars. Yeah, you know, fair. I think like, yeah, because I think like five, five stars is what he delivered in Hungary. But he, he, he just did what he needed to do. He had a little bit of a sort of drop back a little bit from qualifying. So I think, I think Alonso edged him on the day. Yeah, I mean, he lost two places today, Ocon, to his teammate and to Perez. You can't knock him too much for that, um, mm. you know, but he was solid today. So four stars definitely for him. Fernando, solid four point four and a half stars for me. I want to give him 4.75. I thought he had a very good day today. Beating a Ferrari as well on this kind of track um, and getting up from ninth all the way into sixth place, I think is incredible. Um, given how hard it is to overtake around the circuit, evidently. But no, four and a half stars for Fernando. You're right. It's I think your five-star performance for that kind of thing, you have to reserve if they get on the podium or even win a Grand Prix for those kind of drivers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, solid four and a half for Fernando and four stars for Esteban Ocon, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to have to make a chart for this so that we're keeping tabs on this. Um, Alpha Tauri, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda. Gasly... At least four and a half. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic weekend from him. Um, with what he had, yeah, four point five. Sonoda, I'm going to give it two. I didn't even know he was in a race until he retired. You know, honesty. No, he, so I'm going to yeah. give Sonoda a two. Yeah, and he didn't qualify very well either. He was out in Q1, so um, yeah. I mean, he had a lot. He started from the pits as well, so he did make up a few places because um, he had a lot of bits put in his car. Um, like Perez did, but 
but he was quite underwhelming as well today. So I'm going to say 1.15 stars. I think very, very poor. And Sonoda, this has been a repeating trend, which is why it's worrying for Alpha Terry. I mean, he did perform relatively well in Hungary, got points there, but he's, he's, his big moments have been few and far between. And even though it's his rookie season, Gasly has just been superb and has been carrying the team on his back. I think the last bunch of races, I think Gasly scored 27 points. And I think in the same period, Sonoda's got eight which is um, quite a golf. And I think it's a short period as well, so it's quite worrying for AlphaTauri. Gasly, another driver, four and a half, but really close to five. The only reason mm. I would give him five stars is because he didn't put that car on the podium, but it didn't have the pace to be on the podium today, not even close. He shouldn't have even finished fourth. You know, that's how good Gasly was today. So a solid four and a half stars, very close to five. Um, Aston Martin now, Sebastian Vettel, and uh, Lance Stroll, and I'm just looking at where they finished in the race. I think Seb was, uh, f- yeah, 12th and 13th for those guys today, but they were definitely um, out of, well, not out of mm. sync, but they just didn't perform this weekend as we hoped yeah. they would. I'm going to give them both two. Um, I probably would have given Sebastian a 2.5, but he had that moment where he spun as well. So I'm going to give them both two. I'm going to be more generous and give them both three stars. Um, Stroll, I'm going to give him three stars because he started 12th, he finished 12th, but he did have that moment where he cut across Vettel quite dangerously that could have ended up in tears. Um, and Vettel, you know, he had some issues in qualifying. He started in 17th today and he managed to get up to 13th despite the spin, um, which compromised Bottas's race, we should mention too. So yeah, mm. three stars, but we're being ge- I'm being generous a little bit. It wasn't a good day for Aston Martin considering Alpha Tauri and Alpine got big points today against them in the Constructors' Championship. Um, where we are now. Uh, Alfa Romeo. Now, of course, Romeo. we should mention that, obviously, Kimi Raikkonen with COVID, he's flown back to Switzerland uh, as required um, because he needs to pass... He needs to uh, supply two negative tests before he can fly it to Monza. So he might be in the Italian Grand Prix. We'll have to wait and see. But, of course, he was replaced by Robert Kubica, who I actually thought did a good job under the circumstances, and he was uh, very much battling away today. He was very much involved, coming 15th and Giovinazzi in 14th today. I'm going to give Giovinazzi three and a half, mainly because of his qualifying performance. So, yeah, I'm going to give Giovinazzi three and a half, and you know what? All things considered, I'm going to give Kubica a four. The fact that he was even in a mix where he's barely been driving a Formula 1 car has to be commended. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to give Gio a higher score, but I think you've hit it right with three and a half because his qualifying performance was superb. And I think we should talk more about this in general and praise him because it's very easy for us to look at someone like George Russell that's really surprised everyone with the odd Q3 appearance. Of course, qualifying P2 in Belgium last week would ultimately become P2 in the race. Um, That never was. Um, But Giovinazzi in P7 and Alfa was absolutely superb. So brilliant job from him. But unfortunately, that's where the praise kind of stops. And whilst we can agree that the Alfa Romeo um, isn't the best car on a track like Zanvor, I would have liked to have thought he could have held on a little bit more. Maybe got a point or at least finished closer to it. But in the end, he was nowhere near it, really. So yeah, three and a half for him, mostly inflated by qualifying. And Robert Kubica, yeah. First time back in the car after the issues he's had. Very much in the battles today and he very much enjoyed himself. He said it was like a fight for survival in the Williams. This was so much better. So yeah, four stars for Robert Kubica. We might see him at the Italian Grand Prix, but 
I'll tell you what, I, I, as much as I love Robert, I would love to see Kimi Raikkonen drive in front of the Tifosi one more time. Ferrari's last world champion, and this time next season, Courtney, Ferrari will not have any active world champions on the grid, um, which is quite depressing. It just gets even worse and worse for Ferrari. Um, Williams, George Russell and Nicholas Latifi. Obviously, um, strange races for them. George Russell got a five-second time penalty for speeding in the pit lane. It's not like George to do that at all. But uh, ended up finishing 16th and 17th. George Russell didn't finish in the end. He retired just before the end. Latifi in P16. So uh, what ratings would you give to them today? Uh, full of mistake, I think. Mm, two and a half for George. And I'm going to give three to Latifi. Because that's kind of the level that Latifi is probably expected to be this year. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you. Because they both qualified really, really well in 11th and 12th, but they both made mistakes in Q2, which caused red flags, which probably preserved their position, despite the fact that we're both trying to get into Q3. So you kind of have to take that with a pinch of salt. You can't really praise them too much. And in the race, they just fell down the order. Um, yeah, three stars for Latifi. Um, yeah, I'll go two a point. I'll go two and a half for George. Um, I think two's a bit too harsh, but you can't give him three stars like Latifi because George's level of expectation is mm-hmm. certainly higher than Latifi's. Um, and that leaves us to Huss, Schumacher and Mazepin, who started on the back row of the grid. And I believe, so I'm just checking the results again. I, I've been flicking back and forth. That's how I do my notes. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, we had Nikita Mazepin was last, dead last, didn't finish. And Mick Schumacher, last of the remaining runners in 18th. So what would you give those guys? I'm going to give Mick one and a half stars. He's Ooh. probably had one of his worst weekends so far. And I'm going to give Mazepin one star just for showing up. Wow. You can give half a star yeah. or, or I don't know if, well. Yeah, I'm going to give me... him a star. Just, you get you, you get a star for um, for showing up. I mean, I'll, so, yeah. I'll give Mick, <laughs> I'll, well, I'll give Mick two stars because I think yeah. we have to consider the performance of the car. The 18th is probably as good as they would have mm. hoped for on a normal weekend. Um, but yeah, two stars. It was massively underwhelming. Uh, Mick didn't get a great start either, which put him behind Mazepin, which kind of caused all these issues. And of course, what happened afterwards, what happened in qualifying with Seb Vettel, you know, Mick, I love the kids a bit, but I just feel like Mick made a big, big mistake in the timings and everything else. And he could have caused a huge crash with Vettel and Mazepin. Um, uh, Mazepin, yeah, one star and probably being generous at that, really. Underwhelming in qualifying, um, and a bit of a dick in the race, really, to be honest, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, yeah, one star for him. And that brings us nicely to the end of it, guys. That's our star rating. So, uh, yeah, guys, make sure if you can, in the comments, let us know if you want to give us your star ratings as well. I'll have to watch this episode back and make sure to tally them. Try and get a bit of an average going towards the end of the season. This was something we wanted to bring in for the second half of the season, then we'll roll with it. Hopefully, as long as you guys I like it, it personally. So I hope you guys like it too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it brings us nicely towards the end of the episode. So, uh, mm. Yeah, so thanks very much, guys, for tuning in. Of course, if you have enjoyed this, make sure to subscribe if you are new to the channel. Please of course, if you follow us on your favourite podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe as well if you're enjoying it and give the video a like and a five-star review if you like. Give us a five-star review if you like. <laughs> um, that would be great. But of course, guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. And we hope you stay safe and, of course, stay safe, I should say. And we've got the Italian Grand Prix coming up this time next weekend, the latest chapter in the F1 2021 season. Will Max Verstappen be able to consolidate his performance today and get another win in Italy? Will we see Hamilton and Mercedes make a much-needed resurgence? We'll have to wait and see. But until next time, guys, stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care.
Social Podcast Network.